Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad podcast. I'm Michelle, and today I'm chatting with Satanya Dakers, a New Yorker who moved to Paris and hosted the delightful Dinner for One podcast. Welcome to the show, Satanya. Thanks for chatting with us. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm really excited. I think it'll be fun. If I understand your story correctly, marriage was the reason you moved to Paris, but you stayed after your divorce rather than returning to New York. Before your marriage, have you always had an interest in living abroad? And how long have you lived in Paris? So yeah, that's totally correct. I moved here because I was married to a French man for a few years. I met him in New York City. I've always been, well, I mean, I guess I've just kind of always lived abroad because I was born in Jamaica and I moved to the States when I was four years old and grew up there and became American citizen and all that. So I think just living abroad has always been a part of me. I've always had to balance between or live between two cultures. When I moved to Paris, it didn't really feel necessarily like living abroad. It just felt like an extension of what I've already been used to. And I've been here for, in June, it's going to be eight years, which is crazy because I kind of feel like I just got here. Once you arrived in France and started to settle in, what surprised you most about being an American living abroad? That's a good question. One of the things that stood out then, once I kind of got used to living here, stood out then and still stands out now, especially as I feel even more comfortable living here and I know the culture a bit better, is how grateful I am to have grown up in a culture where your optimism is just kind of like the way to go and you're encouraged from a very young age to dream big and to believe that your dreams can be fulfilled and sky's the limit. And I found that in France, that's not necessarily the case. And that shows in the way French people can sometimes approach goals that they have or projects or dreams, whereas an American would be like, I'm going to go, I can do this, I can figure this out. And along the way, even if we fail, we don't necessarily consider it failing. It's just like a stumbling block for us to keep going. I find that a lot of people here, yeah, they're just, there's a bit more pessimism around being, not being yourself, that's not a way of putting it, but there's a bit more pessimism around yeah, being who you who you are, like, yeah, trying to achieve your goals. I just find that the American optimism has helped me a lot in many ways in terms of building a life here and being myself here. After your divorce, you chose to stay in Paris rather than return to New York. So I'm guessing it suits you. Do you ever envision returning to the States at some point? I do love Paris. After my divorce, I had this, I had to decide more or less whether or not I was going to move back to the States, to New York City. That's where my family lives and that's where I grew up. And for a while, obviously the comforts of home were very tempting. And I did go home for a couple of weeks after just to you know, be with my family. It was a really hard time um, for obvious reasons. But I really enjoyed the life that I built here and I just wanted to see if it would work, You know, me staying here and it has. And I have a great group of American friends and other foreign friends that I feel less like a foreigner with when I'm here. I don't like to speak in absolutes. I don't know forever is a long time. And for now, I see Paris as somewhere I live for the foreseeable future, but anything can happen that will make me return back to the States, which, you know, New York is not a bad place to go back home to, you know, so. How connected do you feel to the U.S. after being in Paris for almost eight years? I'm still super duper American. My vocabulary might have more like Frenchisms in it. I may have adopted many French lifestyle cultural things, but I'm still very American and very proud. And I mean, I feel connected in that way. And also my family and my friends. And yeah, back to what I was saying earlier about the optimism, just like who I am. It's very American and I'm proud of that. I've never, I've never ever felt disconnected. And also modern technology helps with social media and the news and all that stuff. And I can Skype with 
Skype, that's so old school, but like I could FaceTime with like my mom and my friends back home and texting. So I don't, I don't necessarily feel cut off. And pre-pandemic, I was lucky enough to go back once or twice a year because Paris, New York is not that far. I don't feel disconnected at all. And I think that's also by choice. I don't want to, I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of being American. What do your friends and family think about putting roots down for now in Paris? Knowing who I am, I don't think any of them are surprised. <laughs> I mean, they miss me and I miss them, of course. A lot of times I say to my friends here or people just I meet that are foreigners and we talk about the experience of living abroad. I say to them, what would be perfect is if I can take all my friends and my family and move them to Paris and then we're all here. And then, you know, like for the, you know, for as long as I'm here, they're here with me. But I think they're really proud of me. They think that this is a great thing that I've done and they just support me 100%. They don't really see anything negative in, in what I'm doing. And yeah, they support me 150%. So, and if anything, you know, I'm kind of like continuing in some ways that legacy of Americans moving to Paris and just giving it a go here. So I think they think that's also pretty cool. One of my favorite questions to ask American expats, has living abroad changed you? Can you imagine what life could have been if you stayed in New York? Yeah, I can totally imagine what life would have been had I stayed in New York. I mean, I probably go to like bought a house somewhere, I would be driving a Nissan Altima or something like that. I definitely have this idea of what my life would be. Not that it's been a bad thing, but I think living abroad, I don't think this is unique to Paris, but I just think in general, if you move outside of your comfort zone, it makes you a better listener and observer. Like, I don't think if I'd stayed in New York, I would have been so observant of the world around me and observant of myself, you know what I mean? And just placing myself in the environment in a way that forces me to be more aware and to live in the moment and to be more present. So I think it's changed me in that way. I'm just so much more self-aware, really. I think it's also made me a lot more curious about people. Because in New York, I mean, it's a huge city, right? So I grew up around a lot of different people, different cultures. But at the end of the day, we were still New Yorkers and we were still American. So maybe you might eat something different at home, but for the most part, we had the same cultural references. We had the same more or less values. We just more or less the same people. Whereas living abroad has introduced me to a completely different spectrum of people and ways of thinking and ways of being and cultures. And it's been really interesting to discover that. And it's also, yeah, it's made me way more open and it's also made me question in a good way a lot of the truths that I held in the past or the way I thought about certain things, I guess in general, just helped me grow up a lot and mature a lot faster than I would have had I stayed in the States and in my circle and in my comfort zone. Are you well connected to the American expat community there? ACA advocates for Americans living abroad. Do you hear much about the issues Americans in particular living in Paris deal with? Yeah, I have a huge group of American friends because as nice as it is to live in Paris and as nice as it is to have French friends, there's something really comforting about being around your own people. You know what I mean? And I need that. As much as I love France and I love speaking French, sometimes I don't want to speak French. And sometimes I just don't want to explain certain things. My American friends, my American community here is comforting. And especially when I was going through my divorce, I found the American church in Paris community particularly, yeah, comforting and essential to my healing at that time. So I'm really grateful to find home within the American community here in Paris, even though we're all from different parts of the country, different age range, different ages, different races. Our Americanness has helped to create this community and, and made it something special. 
And to the second part of your question, do we talk about issues that are concern us? I mean, of course, right? I mean, who else are we going to vent to about kind of the things that annoy us about French people? We can tease each other. French people can say, well, Americans like this or that, but after a while, they don't want to hear it anymore, which I can understand. When it comes to venting about everyday, everyday things that happen when you live in Paris, it's nice to vent to them. And even things that are happening back home with what was going on politically, what's going on in terms of race relations, it affects us. Even though we live abroad, we're still Americans. We're still in some ways representative of our country and our culture. And it's something that deeply affects us. Yeah, so we definitely talk about it just to make sense of it, you know, because we are on an everyday basis. I think what happens in Paris is more relevant to our everyday lives because we live here. And especially my friends that have children here and things like that. It still affects us because it's, it's still our country, it's still our culture. We still have family and friends that are there. So we definitely address those issues and talk about them and talk about how they make us feel. And Can you speak to any of the challenges you've personally faced as an American living outside of the U.S.? Besides wrapping my head around the French language and being more comfortable, I haven't had any, encountered any difficulties around just being an, an American. Yeah, nothing at all. Maybe people still believe that there's this anti-Americanness in France. It doesn't exist, or at least I haven't experienced it. I think there's a lot more curiosity around Americans because I think the Americans or the American culture that that French people are probably used to, a lot of the Americans that live here, not the ones that visit, but ones that live here are very different from what they see. So I think there's a lot of curiosity around us and our culture. And I think also there's, in some ways, still potentially, if a French person listens to this, I hope I don't get mean emails, but maybe there's a bit of also admiration because of our optimism, right? So you have so many Americans that move here to this new country, this new culture, and do amazing things in the creative fields, for example. We have Americans that write books about French French cuisine, about living in France. You have people like me that start podcasts. I have a friend of mine that started this antique business. So we come here, we have these ideas, and our background, the way we're, we're educated, the way we're taught to believe in ourselves, propels us to actually make these dreams a reality or try out these creative pursuits. And I think there's a lot of admiration and curiosity around our go-getter spirit. If anything, I've just, I've been really embraced and welcomed here. Your podcast is wonderful. And food is such an integral part of French life, pairing it with conversation about relationships and healing and life in general. It's a natural fit for a podcast. That said, though, I feel like it's a unique theme within the podcast realm. Can you speak a bit about where the idea came from, a, a bit about the podcast origins story? As you mentioned during the introduction, I moved here because I was married. When my ex-husband and I divorced, as anyone can imagine, divorce is really hard, especially when living in a foreign country. You know, I'd only been living here for three years at that point. I was younger. I think I was 30, 29, 30, something like that. It seems so long ago now. I was uh, 29 or 30. Instead of sitting with myself and trying to work through those feelings, I'm in a country of five-year-old rosé. So what did I do? <laughs> I was drinking a lot of five-year-old rosé with my friends. One day, or something happened that kind of put everything into perspective, and I realized that I was hurting myself by indulging in all this five-year rosé. Turned down a lot of invitations to happy hour or apéro, as it's, as it's called in France. I just started 
making dinner for myself and not going out. And those dinner for ones really helped me focus on myself because I was I was doing something so fundamental to to life, which is feeding yourself, right? And I think a lot of people, when you think about dinners or single people, at least, you think about dinners, you think about going out with friends or you're inviting friends over to have a dinner party. And by doing that, you're, especially when you cook for other people, you're, show, in my opinion, you're showing a lot of love and a lot of care and a lot of affection. And it's almost kind of like, why couldn't I do that for myself? And once I started doing that for myself, I noticed my view of my current situation changed. So I stopped thinking about the end of my marriage as being a failure. I stopped thinking about myself as a failure. All these negative thoughts about myself started decreasing rapidly. And I just started loving myself again, which is what making dinner for one helped me do. Parallel to that happening, so that didn't happen overnight, right? It took a while. So parallel to that happening, I'm still a young divorced woman living in Paris. I wanted to see if someone else is talking about it, what that experience is like, not only being divorced, but living abroad, and especially living in Paris, because Paris is so romanticized and French men are so romanticized. And in my search, I found nothing. I either found older women that were divorced, which is, they have their stories and that's great, but a lot of them, like I mentioned, were older, they had kids, like I just felt like they were in different places in their lives. And everything I found about Paris was just how great the city was. And it was just like, yes, it's great, but there's another side to it. Yes, it's great meeting the French man, but there's another side to it. So I decided to open my big New York mouth and talk about it. And I found that I wanted to have the way I spoke about it, not necessarily be shrouded with sadness or anger. And I wanted to make people feel like they were with me and cooking dinner was such an integral part of my healing and, and getting better. I just thought it'd be a great way to tell my story was through these solo dinners. I was really hesitant about it because I was kind of like, well, who wants to hear about this woman living in Paris? Wow, <laughs> so sad, cooking dinner for herself. Oh my God. It seems to have worked. So I'm really happy, happy about that. That's essentially the long story of how it, it came about. I just wanted to add another perspective to the American in Paris story. I like how you've paired some of your dishes with themes of discussion, like the fearless tart, the wonky omelet. Would you describe your podcast as a food theme podcast with a dash of life mixed in or the opposite, a podcast about life with food as its co-host? Definitely a podcast about life with food as its co-host because I'm not a chef. And I think you can tell that when you listen to me and I'm like, burning stuff or like forgetting to put stuff like oh, I forgot to put salt I'm gonna put it in now I hope it's good <laughs> so it's definitely just about life and lifestyle and using food as the anchor right because as I mentioned before I find food is as a form of showing love and affection and care I think doing it for yourself or taking the time out of your busy day to prepare food for yourself and make a nice meal is showing yourself love and care and attention that we all need. So food is an essential co-host, but yeah, it's mostly just about my life in Paris in general. And, and in the wonky omelet, you mentioned that making elaborate meals was a reflection of how you're living, like you were saying, and proving how well you're doing on your own. Could you speak more about the evolution of the podcast and making dinner for one and how your self-care are all intertwined? So even before the podcast, just making dinner for one allowed me to actually like live in my space again and reclaim my apartment. So the apartment that I'm still in, which I love, I shared with my ex-husband. For a long time, 
when I was on my five euro rose trip, I didn't really live here. It was a place where I showered and slept and went to work and then went out after work and stay out until last call and then come home and sleep and do the whole thing again. So I wasn't taking care of my space. Cooking dinner for one forced me to stay home. I started owning my space again and feeling comfortable. So that was step one. And then once I started doing the podcast, it really helped to continue to boost my confidence inside and outside the kitchen because here I was telling my story, people were being responsive. I was pushing myself to make more, I wouldn't say difficult meals, but things that maybe I was hesitant about making before because I had this podcast. It was around cooking and it was around self-care and it was around evolving and I needed to walk the walk and talk the talk, you know? It helped to build my confidence inside and outside of the kitchen, which then, you know, it made me realize that if I can cook dinner for one, show myself these small acts of care and love, I'm going to be all right. And I'll be able to take whatever life throws at me. I can take care of myself. I can love myself before the podcast, but then definitely doing the podcast and continuing to to push myself to to be vulnerable, to make different types of dishes, to challenge myself. It really helped me to really like myself again, which mm-hmm. is the most in, important thing anyone can can do for themselves and like love themselves, like despite whatever life may may throw at you and feel like you can overcome any challenges. You mentioned that anyone who's listened to the podcast knows that you're not the best cook. Are you picking up more or did you pick up more when you moved there? Did you have any expertise or any dishes that you made from when you were a kid that you knew already? How good of a cook were you before and oh. then? now? I definitely was not a good cook. I mean, I um, so I lived off campus when I was at university in college and I live off of like easy mac and cheesy bread. So like I wasn't a good cook, but I think there must have been some, I don't know, maybe like osmosis or something because my mom is a great cook. And even though when I was younger, she didn't necessarily allow me in the kitchen because I was you know, probably a nuisance. Just growing up eating almost every day, fresh homemade meals definitely, I guess, had an effect on me and my palate. And then once I moved here, food is such a big part of French culture. Inviting people to your home, have dinners for them is something I get the impression people do from, even if they live in tiny studio apartments, they're inviting friends over. Just also being around fresh produce and seasonal produce and hearing the way French people talk about food. Myself, just kind of naturally becoming friends with people in the food world. One of my best friends here is an American and is a chef and owns a a restaurant here. So just even just becoming friends with her, it just became such a part of my life. So I just started experimenting more and just becoming more confident in the kitchen. And I mean, if I screwed something up, right, I was making it for myself so Mm -hmm. I could adjust and, and learn that way. It's definitely something that evolved. And that's what I tell people, you know, whenever they ask me about cooking, I'm just like, no one is born, you know, no one's five years old is an amazing cook, right? Like we all have to start somewhere. We all have to burn something. We all have to, you know, put sugar in instead of salt. We all have, we all, and we also have to discover what our own tastes are and what our palate is. I mean, I love strong flavors like anchovies and mustard and things like that. And a lot of people don't. It's also about discovering what you like and what you don't like. It's all been a process. I was a bad cook and now I'm like, a semi-okay cook. I wouldn't, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere near greatness. I still have time. <laughs> Looking at the title of your podcast only, Dinner for One, it sounds like it would be the ultimate podcast for singles to binge on during a pandemic. 
has the pandemic impacted your podcast in any way? I wouldn't say it's impacted. It's made me so much more grateful for the community that I have around the podcast, especially during the first lockdown last year. As someone who is still single, I felt very much cut off and disconnected from my community that I built here. So it was nice to just kind of have that as still as a creative outlet and not feel alone because a lot of my friends that live in Paris are in a couple, so they're not married or they're married, they have roommates. So a lot of people in my immediate circle were living with someone during that the first lockdown experience here or the beginning of the pandemic. So it was nice to go back to my community and not feel alone. Even though I do know that a lot of the people that listen are married or some of them even are older and they have kids. I don't think it's necessarily for just single people. I think my story is somewhat universal. Unfortunately, everyone's had their heart broken at least once, right? Or everyone's had a moment mm -hmm. in life where they were single. So I think for people that, like me, are single, it's probably, I hope, what my podcast brings to them is to let them know that they're not alone and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with cooking dinner for one. There's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself in that way. And for people that maybe are in a couple or coupled up or are married, maybe it's a bit nostalgic for them. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's a bit like, oh, man, I, wish, I wish I could just like come home and decide to make this thing and make it instead of checking with so-and-so to see if they want to eat it too. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I think it's just the overall theme of self-love through food, I think is something that's, that's universal, whether or not you're single or married or whatever your current uh, relationship status is. And what about yourself? How have you been during the pandemic? I've been okay. Thanks for asking. First part of the pandemic, the first lockdown we had in France, it was a bit difficult because I was happy to be in Paris just because it's my home now, right? I'm comfortable here. All my stuff is here. But I really missed my family in New York and my friends and I was really worried about them because at that point, like, New York was like the epicenter of everything going down and my parents are a bit older now. And, and I did feel cut off from my community here in France and Paris. But for the most part, I've been okay. It kind of feels like this is one of those, it's one of those moments in history where everyone is living the same thing at the same time. <laughs> so it's reassuring to to know that the way the kind of difficult feelings that I had to work through and the fear and the sometimes loneliness and the confusion was something that a lot of people were feeling at the same time. And a lot of people were trying to work through at the same time as well. Now that vaccines are being rolled out a bit slowly in France, but we're getting there, hopefully. It's giving me a lot of hope and I'm hoping that I'll be able to visit my family this summer because I haven't seen them since 2018. Finally, what's on the horizon for yourself and for Dinner for One? Some exciting stuff. <laughs> oh, one of, the good things, one of the good things that came out of the pandemic was I got a book deal last summer. So I am currently working on kind of like a memoir with recipes. The title is Dinner for One, How Cooking in Paris Saved Me. And I Congratulations. Just kind of, thank you. And I just <laughs> kind of explore love, loss, finding my true meaning of home while cooking in Paris. Congratulations. That's great news. The curtain on the idealized expat life here. Because it's great. There are a lot of great things. The croissants are great. The panoramas <laughs> are great. The museums are great. The people are actually factually just like gorgeous. Like sometimes that, you know, walk by a French cafe and I'm just like, I feel like I'm watching a movie of what French people look like. 
but I'm like <laughs> actually here and this is actually where they just like they're just like so cool sitting there I haven't seen at least a lot of conversation around the kind of yeah loneliness you feel the confusion the uh, how much you have to sacrifice right mm -hmm. and how much you're missing out on in my case in particular I have so many friends I was in my friend group in the States, I was one of the first ones to get married. So, but now a lot of my friends are getting married and having kids and I'm missing out on that. I, it's the sacrifice that I have to make. I feel like things like that aren't really talked about and questioning whether or not this is the right decision that you're making. I'm gonna hopefully talk about that stuff and then also like the fun stuff and the funny stuff because French people are funny and weird in many, in many great ways. And yeah, so that, that's on the horizon. It's scheduled to be released spring 20, 2022. Congratulations. That's great. Any final thoughts you'd like to share? France is great. <laughs> Paris is wonderful. I think, you know, as an American, if you have the opportunity to visit France or live here for any extended period of time, definitely do it. And also, if you also have the opportunity to just live anywhere abroad, I would definitely recommend it. It doesn't have to be forever. It doesn't have to be for eight years like me, even if it's for six months or a year. I think it'll make you appreciative of um, a lot of things around American culture. It'll make you also question a lot of things around American culture as well for the better. It'll open up your eyes to the world around you and make you realize that we're not as different. People in general aren't as different as we like to believe we are. There are certain things about our cultures, obviously, that will not be similar. But at the end of the day, people just most of the time just want to sit around, have a good laugh, have a good chat. We all love our family, friends, and we all just want to be satisfied in our lives. I think that's a truth that runs across all cultures. So I think if you have the opportunity to experience that yourself, and also just like wherever you go, eat everything because food across <laughs> the world tends to be really good and really delicious. So yeah. <laughs> great final thought. <laughs> Thank you, Satanya, for taking the time to join us today. is Mary Louise Serrato, Executive Director of ACA, to give a quick update on the fundraising efforts for the ACA Global Foundations Research Project with District Economics Group. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for inviting me today. Just want to give everyone a quick update on ACA Global Foundation, ACAGF, and our work on raising funds for our second round of research and data on the Overseas Americans community that we're doing with District Economics Group, DEG, here in Washington, DC. Some of your listeners may remember that back in 2017, we raised funds and did a research project with District Economics Group, a first round to take a look at the size of the overseas American community, take a look at their tax and compliance, their investment habits, their income makeup, size and demographics. This is a lot of data that just doesn't exist, frankly, anywhere in government offices. There are bits and pieces of it with the Treasury and the IRS, but there's no real comprehensive data source for this kind of information. As we all know, even the State Department 
has an estimate of 9 million Americans living and working overseas. And ACA has been working hard to try to determine what the methodology is for that number. But so far, we don't really know. Our independent work done with District Economics Group back in 2017 gives us an estimate about 5 to 6 million. That work has been very beneficial. We've gone into numerous offices, the Joint Committee of Taxation, both tax writing committees, congressional offices, and we've presented that work that's given them a lot of data that they don't have. And coming off of that, there's more data and information that they're looking for. So we're going back in and we're doing a second round. There's obviously been a lot of new information given the FATCA legislation, some of the compliance programs that have been out there that were bringing a lot of people who were unaware that they had to file taxes or that they had to file FBARs, the foreign bank account report. There's been a lot of compliance mechanisms out there. So there's a whole new pot of information, so to speak. We want to go out there and get that data and add to our research project because we know the offices that we're speaking to really want and need this and that it's going to be critical for any move towards residence-based taxation. Why is this project so important to ACA's work for tax reform? It's important because without good data, it's very difficult to write good legislation. We've seen this in a lot of the hearings that we've attended most recently, the Senate Finance Committee hearings that were held on the tax gap and on international tax compliance. We've heard from people within the government and in key offices like the Treasury and the IRS who have said that they really don't have a lot of reliable, good data on the, the tax and compliance of Americans overseas. So a lot of the discussion on the tax gap and on legislation that's being developed to combat tax evasion, which I think everyone, including ACA and ACAGF, were very much supportive of efforts against criminal tax evasion. What we don't want to see happen is that compliant average everyday Americans who are living overseas get caught up in a lot of that legislation, which has huge negative effects. I don't need to tell many of the listeners on the podcast today because they're very familiar with the negative effects of that. We want to show the offices that are working on tax reform that this is an average community, middle class. Most people are compliant or want to be compliant and have them understand how Americans overseas are earning their income, how they're taxed in the jurisdictions in which they live, how they're invested, the problems some of those investments create for them because they are U.S. citizens, so that all that data can go in front of the tax writing committees at hearings, which is going to be absolutely the critical next step in the lead up to drafting and writing legislation. We want those offices to have that data so that they can understand it and they can draft good sense legislation and what we're hoping draft residence-based taxation legislation, which is what we've been advocating for and working hard for and for which this data and research is absolutely key. Where does ACAGF stand today on the fundraising? 
We are really excited. We began the fundraising campaign about a month ago, and within a month, we've raised about two-thirds of the funds. So we have a deadline of July 1 for the remainder. We're so confident that we've begun the work with District Economics Group because we are really anxious to get the project going. It will take some time to do the research and pull together the deck and all the information. So we really want to be prepared for that. We anticipate that hearings will probably be held in earnest starting in the fall of this year. So ACA really wants to be there with our data. We want to be able to present it to offices. We want to be able to have the community at the table, not only ACA, but other stakeholders, and have this data available to the committees and the offices that are working on tax reform and specifically on residence-based taxation. How can people help get ACAGF to the finish line? You can help, number one, by donating. I urge everybody who's listening to the podcast to go to the ACA website. If you haven't donated, please go and donate today. And remember, it doesn't have to be a big dollar amount. Every dollar helps on this campaign. Small donations, whatever you can afford, 15, 20, 50 and upwards, you know, please consider donating. Let your friends and other interested parties know about ACA's campaign. We are out there on our own website, on GoFundMe, and on other donation websites. So go out, find ACA Global Foundation, or just simply go to the ACA website or the ACA Global Foundation website press on donate and you'll find all the information about how to donate. Please help us get the word out, post it on your social media networks. And again, let everybody you know, know about this very important campaign that's really going to help the overseas Americans community. Thank you, Mary Louise, for the update on the campaign. Visit the ACA and ACAGF site for more information and to donate. Links are in our show notes to make it easy. The American Citizens Abroad podcast is a monthly podcast that is published the second Tuesday of each month. It is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. You can find us on Twitter at ACA underscore podcast, on Facebook at American Citizens Abroad podcast, or you can email us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us.